And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by firearms reporter Stephen Gutowski to talk about his brand new site, The Reload, as well as a whole bunch of uh, gun-related issues and gun policy-related issues. I think you guys really enjoy it, especially if you're a gun enthusiast like myself. Uh, even if you're not, I think you will still like uh, the interview. Guys, before I get to Steven, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you like the podcast and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Stephen Gutowski. All right, guys, we're here with Stephen Gutowski, founder of the brand new site, The Reload. Stephen, how you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing great. I'm doing great. I was uh, the last couple of days sitting in uh, the woods looking for turkeys unsuccessfully. So, <laughs> but uh, at least the weather I was wish. nice here in Ohio. So, Yeah, it's starting to get a little bit nicer. Uh, although D.C., Virginia areas, it gets too hot for me, honestly. It's the humidity, I need to go back man. to Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's the humidity more than anything else. Yeah. So, dude, uh, what is the reload and why is the reload necessary before we get into the, the meat of what I want to talk about today? Yeah, sure. Well, the reload.com is my new uh, reporting venture. It's an independent firearms journalism publication uh, that's that's funded exclusively by readers who buy subscriptions. Um, so there's no, you know, corporate or, or uh, uh, you know, gun rights or gun control group backing to it. Um, it's, it's purely funded by readers. Uh, so that's who I'm answerable to, but, it, but it's focused on, you know, sober, serious, uh, firearms reporting and, and analysis. Um, you know, I try to break exclusive news, uh, as often as possible. That's really the bread and butter of what we're doing. And then I also try to give, um, you know, expert analysis alongside that, you know, from somebody who, uh, is a certified firearms instructor and who, who builds guns for, uh, you know, fun in his free time and likes to go shooting, you know, has an actual knowledge of the subject. Right. Uh, like me, that's, that's what I want to, um, help inform my reporting and my analysis, you know, and it's trying to avoid like a lot of the, what you see in, in other media outlets where it's just sort of noise and, and fury and fire, right. um, a lot of hot take kind of stuff. That's not really what the reload's going to be about. Right. I mean, I love it, man. And that that's what we need is sober coverage of, of gun issues. I think that's the, the best way to put it. Obviously, you're not going to get it from the corporate press, then their anti-gun agenda. And then on the right, like you know, like you said, like it gets a little sober yeah. would not be the, the way to describe yeah. <laughs> a lot of the, the punditry. On, yeah, on and look, there's nothing the wrong. Right nothing wrong with being passionate about an issue one way or the other. Um, but when that's all we really get, um, from, from our, our coverage of guns, you know, I don't think it's really that helpful to people. Um, and so I, you know, I try to bring something a little bit different to the table. Right. Sometimes it turns into like the right wing version of like the lefty girl screaming at the sky 
when Trump was elected, kind of that meme, that yeah. kind of that happens on the right with guns from time to time. Right. So. And you get a lot of chicken little stuff on the right, too, <laughs> with guns. I think, um, you know, that that every bill that gets introduced, every crazy bill that gets introduced anywhere in the country is automatically already in the law now. Yeah. That, that, that comes up a lot, which I think is insane. Um you know, uh, or, uh, you know, just everything just boils down to immediate gun confiscation tomorrow. Right. Uh, like it's already happening. Not, not that it's just a possibility that somebody wants, because certainly there are people on the left who openly say they want that. And Beto, Beto O'Rourke is an obvious example. Right. But, um, you know, there's just sort of a constant um, outrage cycle that goes on. Uh, that's you like a lot of things in politics is designed to keep people engaged and giving money. Um, more than it is to inform them about what the hell is happening. Right. So that's that's where the relay will be different. Right. I want to talk a lot of uh, current news on the gun issues. And then the first and foremost, obviously, um, on Monday, uh, we found out that the Supreme Court will be taking up the New York uh, concealed carry case. And um, mm-hmm. this is this is great news, um, at least potentially great news. Um, the court has punted on a lot of gun cases. Um, lately and it you know has guys like us pulling our hair out um do you think new yorkers who want to protect their families and just americans generally um because this potentially could be a, a far-reaching um case we obviously don't know but do you think uh americans that want to protect their families and haven't been able to have cause to be optimistic here yeah i do um i think that just taking up a case like this tells a lot uh about what the supreme court is thinking um you know, the, the lower court had upheld New York's restrictive gun carry law, uh, which basically gives, um, you know, the uh, local government officials discretion over whether or not somebody gets to, you know, carry uh, a gun on them, uh, regardless of whether they've passed, you know, the training requirements and the background check. Even if you do that, they can still say, no, you can't carry your gun. Um and that's that's while that's a rare policy numbers wise, uh, you know, there's only about eight states that have that kind of policy. It does affect about 25 percent, more than 25 percent of the country's population because they're yeah. pretty big states that do this. New York, California, uh, Maryland, Illinois. you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut. So um, like it, it's a big deal um, that they took this case and that it directly deals with uh, gun carry and and whether or not somebody can get a, a permit. Like the question here is whether or not the Second Amendment uh, sort of bars uh, local governments from denying people these permits based off of, uh, uh, you know, whether or not they, 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 the government thinks they have a good reason. Um, and so that's a pretty big question for them to go after, uh, you know, in their first real gun case since uh, 2010. Uh, right with McDonald in 2008 before that with Heller. Um, and, and so I think them taking up that question tells you a lot in and of itself because they could have gone for something smaller. Like they, right. they did last year, right? They took a different New York case last year about just transporting your guns, whether or not you can like move your gun from one house in New York city to another house in New right. York state somewhere, you know, uh, legally with, you know, without permission from, from the city government. And uh, they didn't get to rule on the merits of that because New York was so afraid they were going to lose that they just changed their laws um, to give the plaintiffs what they wanted. And so that case became moot. But they could have taken another small sort of smaller issue case like that if they'd wanted to. Um, 
in order to just sort of start building out their their jurisprudence on the Second Amendment? Because they really only have three cases and, yeah. you know, the last hundred years that deal with the Second Amendment. Um, and one of those was a uh, was uh, a very minor uh, precedence, like not even really a precedence. All it did was say it was a stun gun case out of out of Massachusetts where Massachusetts had a ban on stun guns, and then the the state supreme court upheld that ban, and then the U.S. Supreme Court took that case, and all they did was say this ruling is not consistent with Heller, uh, you know, the landmark case from twenty two thousand eight. And so you have to, you know, redecide it because basically the argument that the state was making is that, uh, you know, the Second Amendment doesn't protect guns or weapons that are uh, that weren't in existence in, you know, 1776 uh, <laughs> um, or 1792 when the, the Constitution was ratified. And, and so <clears throat> um, that didn't really tell us a lot. Um, <clears throat> and now they're going to take up a, a case that's... Uh, going to answer a big question, which is, you know, Heller said you, you can, uh, that the second amendment protects your right to own a gun within your own home for self-defense, right? Now the question is, does the second amendment also protect your right to carry a gun on your person outside of your home for the purpose of self-defense? It'll be interesting. I mean, I'm trained at this point um, to just expect the Supreme Court to let us down. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. Emphasis on cautiously. The the propaganda from the left is out immediately, immediately Monday morning. I uh, what's his name from uh, uh, Vox? Ian uh, Ian Milheiser. Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, he, he tweeted. It was like something. Always makes you think of Milhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Me too. <laughs> but I I, I can't I can't remember what it said. It was something along the lines of like. The Supreme Court's gun apocalypse is upon us, or something, or yeah. something like that. I'm like, okay, oh my gosh, they just yeah. they didn't even wait to read what the case is going to be. They just went full <laughs> bore apocalypse. So look, I mean, if the left is is that well, terrified, then maybe we should be optimistic. Well, I do think that there is something to take from uh, from the reactions from the different right. uh, groups on each side. Uh, and I wrote a piece about that uh, the other day, so people can read that at the at the reload. But uh, yeah, basically you have the gun rights groups are very excited about this. They think that, you know, the Supreme Court taking this case means that they will probably strike down the New York law and, uh, you know, institute at least shall issue uh, laws, uh, you know, across the country where basically the takes out the discretion for government right. officials in, in issuing, um, you know, concealed carry permits. And then the left thinks basically the same thing. It seems uh, the gun control groups seem to think that they seem to have come to the same conclusion that just them taking this case, given the makeup of the court now, uh, you know, with six Republican appointed justices to three, you know, Democrat appointed ones, that, uh, yeah, that the conclusion is sort of, it's a foredrawn conclusion. But right. um, I will say, though, that I just did a piece yesterday where I spoke to a number of, uh, of gun law experts, um, and they're not nearly as... Uh, uh, as optimistic for the gun advocates in this case. I didn't enjoy um, reading the piece. I, 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 <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like basically they're, 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 you know, sounding a word of caution, I guess, for, for gun rights activists where it's like, maybe they will do something significant, but maybe they won't. Uh, Cause they could do the, the same thing they did with that stun gun case where yeah. they basically just said, all right, this isn't consistent with Heller. 
and the lower court, we're remanding it to you to figure out the details of that now. And basically it doesn't set any real precedent. Right. Um, and that could allow New York to sort of make a minor change to their law to, to get around, you know, the ruling basically. And, and then you'd have to wait probably several more years, uh, potentially, you know, we, we, there's no way to really know what the Supreme court is going to do, but right. potentially if they went the really small route here, um, you know, that it could be years before they go back to gun rights again. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I think there's reason for, for people to be like cautious, cautiously optimistic is probably your best footing on this one. If you, if you're a gun rights advocate. Definitely. So you you reported, uh, at the reload on a new poll from Pew Research that shows support for uh, gun control has dropped seven points in the last year. Obviously, this is great news. Um, why do you think that the gun grabbers are losing support? I have a few ideas, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah, I, I did a piece for the members over there, too, uh, on on some of my thoughts on why this is happening. But basically, I think, I mean, you know, there, there's a number of reasons it could be. There, there's some lesser, you know, less mind-blowing ones like, well, gun the question of, you know, gun control in America kind of, um, there's kind of an acceptable range that, that polling seems to, you know, vacillate inside of, um, when it comes to support for new gun laws, you know, and it goes up when there's, uh, a big mass shooting, a highly publicized, you know, mass shooting event happens, you see gun control support go up when, um, and then when it's been a while since one, it goes back down because the attention's off the issue and people sort of revert back to what they had thought before. Um, and so this could be that, but it, the more intriguing thing, because you now remember this poll came after a number of, of mass shootings and after yeah. the first mass shootings we'd had in like a year, because yeah. we didn't really have any, uh, we didn't have any during the pandemic because of most likely because of the lockdowns, which is obviously not um, a good solution to the problem, but but it did have that effect. And so it is interesting to see that support had dropped um, even after the the major mass shootings we, we saw earlier this year. Um, and so what could be the real explanation uh, is that it's not just, you know, this, this uh, normal variation that we see, and it's actually a cause of all the new gun owners um, in America, because we had about 8.4 million new gun owners last year. That's the estimate it's from amazing. Uh, yeah. the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, which basically represents all the you know gun manufacturers and dealers. And that's yeah, that that is very unusual. Yeah. Um, it's a huge, huge increase in the number of gun owners uh, in a single year in America. And um Generally speaking, gun owners tend to have a, a dimmer view of gun control than, than non-gun owners, which is, you know, sort of obvious, but but uh, that tends to be the case. And so you would expect that over time, the number of new gun owners that were created last year will have an impact in some way on both polling and politics. Um, and so this could be, that pew poll could be the first sign of that. And actually, I'm writing up another piece right now that'll be out later today um, on on Wednesday here, uh, when, which uh, a new ABC poll found the exact same result, um, that support was down seven points um, from the last time they took their poll for uh, you know for gun new gun control. So uh, it does seem to be that perhaps this isn't a one-off poll. 
now and that we do have pretty good evidence that uh, support for gun control is dropping um, in a way that we didn't see before. Usually, like I said, you'd support would drop around, you know, after those um, high profile shootings were out of the headlines. Yeah. And so now that it's dropping, even when they are in the headlines, perhaps that is because of the new gun owners. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think the left is is losing the ability to make self-defense a, a left versus right issue. <laughs> you know, like people are realizing that that messaging bears no resemblance to reality, especially after the riots and, and all the, the violence last summer. Um, you know, because record, like you said, record numbers of, of, of people are buying guns for the first time. Record numbers of minorities, specifically African-Americans, yeah. are buying guns for the first time. And the whole only Republicans own guns, Republicans are gun nuts, that, that line just isn't working <laughs> anymore for the left. You're seeing Democrats and Republicans going out in droves to buy guns for the first time. Do you think um, that this will give—who knows how many of them are left? There are some— um, do you think this this would give that kind of the, the move against you know if all these polling if the polling data is true, um, will the move against gun control give pro gun Democrats the cover they need, um, like a Joe Manchin, right? It, like somebody like right. that in a red state, will it, will it give some of these Democrats uh, the cover they need to kind of speak up and, and try to make an impact within their party, or or is that kind of where do you think that ship has sailed at least for now? I think that's the interesting question that we face long term here, because I think a lot of people in the gun uh, owning community or, you know, gun politics, uh, you know, gun rights activist types last year, you know, they saw the increase in gun owners and this general truth about how gun owners are, you know, less likely to support gun control than than non-gun owners. And they extrapolated that to be, well, Trump's going to win in a landslide because he you know, because of the stark difference between him and, and Biden on guns, um, and there's going to be all these new gun voters immediately after they purchase their first gun. And, I, you know, that obviously didn't pan out. And I don't think that was ever going to be the case, because I think in reality, when someone buys a gun, they don't go from being a party line Democrat voter to a party line Republican voter overnight. That's not how that works. Um, and obviously, there's there was so much else dominating the 2020 election outside of guns that, um, you know, it just wasn't the main issue. And, um, but I think the, the bigger, um, bigger question here is, is how long, well, <clears throat> I guess, I guess the bigger question is how many of those new gun owners will become politically active right. and how long will it take them? Right. That's what I think is most interesting, because I do think at least some percentage of them will eventually become politically active yes. on guns. Um, and some percentage of those people will become, you know, activists, basically, who, yeah. who become, you know, who, who turn into people who who uh, spend a lot of their time focused on gun politics and, and you know, opposing gun control and forwarding, you know, gun rights uh, agendas. And you've already seen this in some cases happen. Um, I wrote a, I wrote last week about uh, a new gun group called, uh, Asian American Pacific Islanders gun owners. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys who started that group was, um, a first time gun owner last year. Uh, he bought his first gun, uh, around April of last year. Um, and he went, he lived in California. Quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. And he, he had this horrible ordeal to go through to get his gun. It took him almost two months. Oh, wow. Um, because of the shutdowns and California's, 
you know, bureaucracy that's involved with buying a gun in that state. Um, and so that that really bothered him quite a lot. Um, and it, it turned him into an activist, basically. He, you know, he started to consider, uh, well, I don't like these gun laws. He used to be in favor of them, right? He used to think they were reasonable and he used to even be for, you know, different AR bans and things like that. Um, but he's changed his perspective quite a lot since he became a gun owner. And now, you know, his his foray into politics is starting this new uh, gun group. Now, it's not it's not a uh, hyper partisan gun group. Right. It's meant to help Asian-American gunners, especially new ones, you know, learn gun safety and and uh, learn about their rights. But yeah. but you've said, but the point is that he went from somebody who was sort of tacitly supporting, uh, you know, various gun control uh, proposals, including, you know, bans um, to somebody who's now started, uh, he's co-founded a, uh, a gun rights organization in under a year. And so how many of Scott Keynes are out there, I guess, is the, yeah. is the question. How long, uh, over the, over the long run, will they have a major impact on how both parties deal with firearms? Um, especially the democratic party, because, because you could have people just change their mind on this particular issue, and maybe they don't—they still don't want to be Republicans because right. there's so many reasons not to want to be a Republican, right. just like there's so many reasons not to want to be a Democrat. Um, and you know, they might strongly agree with, strongly disagree with most Democrats on guns, um, but agree with them on everything else yeah. uh, or most other things. And so, do those people start to have an impact on how Democrats approach the gun issue because they've become the party has really gone from being um, far more tolerant of pro-gun, you know, members uh, to being extremely aggressively uh, pro-gun control and even publicly supporting things like, you know, confiscation like Beto yeah. O'Rourke did in the primary and even Kamala Harris did. Uh, in the primary, and she's vice president now, yeah. of course. And Biden's plan is was like half a step back from confiscation, yeah. um, and and he's still, uh, interestingly enough, he's still very strongly advocating for extremely strict gun control uh, laws, uh, at least rhetorically. He doesn't have the numbers to pass yeah. anything like that in Congress, but he still says it all the time. He'll probably say it tonight in his speech. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and yeah. to Congress. Yep. So. That'll be the long-term thing to watch out for. How, yeah. how will how will these people change the Democratic Party or the Republican Party? Exactly, and I, you know, I think if more people interact with the California uh, state uh, government, like the the guy the guy you just mentioned, I think that would uh, that would uh, wake up that would open a lot of eyes. I think. Um, changing gears here, uh, since you are a firearms instructor, um, it, when there's a shooting, and I'm I'm not talking about like police policy or anything like that, but when there's a shooting involved, a police officer and a typically a minority, and it's a clean shoot a justified shooting like we saw in Columbus two weeks ago. Yeah. From the left, and, and specifically from the press, <laughs> we get the big three, what I what I like to call the big three, the trifecta of insane and ignorant gun takes, right? One, the the, 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 initial, the initial take is he should have fired a warning shot, just shot his gun straight up at the yeah. air. The second one uh, is a little worse, and it's shoot him in the leg, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and number three, and this is really, it completes the trifecta, it really just brings it all home the galaxy brain take is shoot the gun out of his hand or in, the, in this case it's a she and a knife not a gun but you get the idea so yeah as a, as a firearms instructor explain to anybody listening who might not understand uh, anything about firearms 
why these are the absolute worst things you could ever do unless your goal is to get innocent people killed. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the galaxy brain <laughs> takes from that shooting are, are pretty out there. I mean, uh, I, I remember seeing one that was basically like, kids will be kids, let them have knife fights. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not, a, you know. Why, why are you stopping them? But that that's is like just the part most, of growing up. It's knife fighting. That is the most it's racist like, okay. thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Saying, yeah, it's you know, pretty oh my insane. Goodness. But yeah, um, that's definitely one of the most insane takes that I've seen. Um, but yeah, so the issue here is that in America, we treat shooting someone as a deadly threat, uh, as a de as deadly force, right? If you're shooting at someone, you're using deadly force, and we do that because. Um, shooting someone can kill them. I, right. you know, this is a very basic uh, principle here. So we don't allow um, in our, you know, uh, laws for people to, whether they're police or civilians, to just shoot at people and then claim they they weren't trying, they weren't using deadly force because they were just sh shooting a warning shot or they were just shooting at the leg or whatever, um, or they were just trying to shoot the gun out of their hand. Um, so that's one thing, like uh, the, the legal standard here is that if you shoot at somebody, yes, you are using deadly force because it is, there's a high likelihood that you could kill them if you hit them with your shot. Um, and so you don't fire one. And so the only time that it's justified to use deadly force is if there is a deadly threat, uh, or threat of se severe bodily harm to yourself or to another right? Uh, an imminent threat. And so obviously you see that in the, the Columbus shooting because literally that victim was a few seconds away from being stabbed with, and that also is deadly force. And so the, the officer was justified in shooting the assailant as sad as it is that that situation occurred at all. Um, certainly you don't want to see um, a, a child, you know, a minor be shot for any, you don't want to see anyone get shot for any reason, generally speaking, right? Um, even if they are the aggressor and they're in the wrong. It's sad when people are killed in violent encounters like that, um, even if they were the person in the wrong. But uh, the issue here is, um, so this officer sees a deadly threat um, and he chooses to shoot to shoot center mass to stop the threat. You shoot to stop the threat. You don't shoot to kill them. You don't shoot to wound them. You shoot uh, with the intention of stopping them. And uh, because the outcome could be their death, we consider that deadly force. And so you don't fire a warning shot because warning shots imply that perhaps you're not um, in imminent threat for your life if you're if you're able to fire off a warning shot. Right. Which also can be incredibly dangerous, depending on where you're aiming <laughs> that shot. Obviously, um, in the if you shoot in the air, that bullet <laughs> comes down somewhere and could kill somebody. Um, uh, if you shoot in the wrong place and you hit someone, <laughs> you're still you're liable for every round you put down range. Uh, and then, yeah, shooting them. So why not shoot them in the leg, right? Uh, maybe they'll survive. More, maybe they're more likely to survive getting shot in the leg. One, I don't think that's really necessarily true. I mean, we have this artery running through our legs called the femoral artery. And if you nick that, you will die uh, very quickly. You'll bleed out. Yep. And so one, so the idea there that it's just sort of like safe to shoot somebody in the leg is, is insane. Um, and then two, it's much harder to shoot someone in the leg, especially 
under stress in a situation that involves deadly a deadly threat. Um, why would you aim at a, very, at a much smaller part of the body? They aim center mass because that's where they're most likely to actually hit somebody if they have to shoot them. Um, and if you, and again, the only reason you can shoot at someone is if they're a deadly, imminent deadly threat to you or another. And so, um, in that situation, you want to hit what you're shooting at. And that's why they aim center. That's why they don't aim for headshots. Right. right? Uh, if their intention was to immediately kill someone, you hit them in the, the head, they're, they're much more likely to immediately stop. But, but you're also much more likely to miss. Um, and so that's, that's why police are trained and most people are trained to shoot center mass in a self-defense situation like that. Um, and then obviously, you know, and, you know, to me, the shoot them in the leg stuff is, is akin to the shoot the gun out of their hand stuff. It's just, it's just gibberish dreamed up by people who watch too many movies and have never <laughs> fired a gun in, yeah. in a, you know, uh, even a simulated stress environment. Um, and so, you know, that, that is the kind of stuff that we deal with, unfortunately, on a regular basis in most media, like because it's people talking about guns who don't know anything about guns. There that's, people that have never that's fired. The whole a reason gun. why why the reload uh, exists now is, is to counteract that kind of stuff. It's like exactly these people have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to firearms, why people own them, who owns them, what the laws are that govern them, and then how they work. Yeah, even the basics of how they work. They most people in media have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, most of these people have never, never fired a gun. A lot of the lawmakers making gun policy have never fired a gun. And, you know, people like, like with this shooting in Columbus, people don't really, just don't realize the effective range of different firearms. Like a, a nine millimeter pistol is not a 30 out six, man. Like you're not putting somebody down accurately at 400 yards. I mean, please, like I right. encourage people that don't know this, go to a range, like go fire a Glock 19 at a range and, and learn what the effective accurate range of a nine millimeter handgun is. Um, right. Uh, some good news, which actually I, I'm embarrassed to say I, I, I wasn't aware of all of this, but a, a real white pill moment for a lot of folks who care about liberty. There's a chart going around on Twitter um, from Open Source Defense uh, that shows how far we've come since the mid-1980s in terms of our right to carry. And honestly, I, I mean, I, I've been doing political commentary for years and years, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm a, I've been a gun owner forever. I, I'm embarrassed to admit I didn't know how bad it was <laughs> 30 years ago. Most states didn't oh, yeah. allow people to carry, including my state, Ohio, didn't allow people to carry 30 years ago. And we, sp I mean, myself included, we spent a lot of time complaining about the state uh, infringing on our rights, and we should because they are. <laughs> but um, we've made a lot of progress, too, and that shouldn't be ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Now, that graph is about um, concealed carry specifically, yes. right? Yes. Because, uh, you know, carry's been allowed forever, right, right? right. Uh, since the founding. But gen but the culture has changed quite a lot in the last 250 years, right? Where it used to be, well, one, it was very hard to conceal <laughs> a gun, you know, with the technology of, you know, flintlocks and muskets. Right. Um, and so it wasn't really a concern back then. And so... Uh, and people open carried their firearms if right. they were carrying them. And so uh, it was only really in the last, you know, 100 years or so um, where, you know, you, you could reasonably carry a concealed handgun on your on your person for protection. And um, culturally in America, you know, open carry used to be considered the proper way of doing it. And concealed carry was considered a sort of nefarious thing. Um, back, you know, in the, the 19th century. But 
that has obviously changed completely yeah. um, since then. And people now consider open carry to be taboo in most places. Um, and you could, even if you're legally doing it, where I live, right, in Northern Virginia, people might call the police on you right. because they think you're doing something wrong, even if you're not. And so that's one reason why concealed carry has taken over. But and then it's also just sort of a tactical advantage um, right. in a cell, you know, a situation where someone intends to do you harm. Um, you might not want them to know immediately that you have a gun on you so they don't try to take it from you. Like police experience that problem uh, as well, where people yeah. try to take their guns away from them when they're because they are carrying them openly. Right. That's why they usually wear specialized holsters that prevent that. But um, uh but regardless of that, yes, politically, the, the landscape has changed massively over the last uh, 30, uh, 30 plus years here, where basically it was illegal to conceal carry almost everywhere yeah. in the entire country. And um, that has been completely reversed. Now it's not illegal to conceal carry anywhere in the country, not technically, at least. Right. Uh, technically, every single state has... NDC has a concealed carry permit um, or or doesn't even require a permit at all for someone to legally conceal carry. Now, some states, and this is where the New York Supreme Court case comes into play again, some states effectively ban concealed carry right. where they say like, yeah, you can have a permit, but only if you uh, jump through all these hoops and then the, the uh, cop or judge at the end of the process says sure you you can have one um and in places like hawaii um especially or parts of california or parts of maryland parts of new york effectively it's no issue they don't they will just won't give anyone a permit unless well <laughs> in some cir some circumstances uh you can bribe your way into getting permits right that's, that's right, been right, a right. common feature of the may issue regimes uh like new york's where uh basically if you if you pay off the right person uh, you can get in the police department, you can get a permit. There's been multiple convictions over the years yep. for that issue. But, um, but yeah, generally speaking, politically, um, gun carry has has had basically total victory over the last 30 years from what it was. Um, and so, because like Vermont was like the only place yeah. that had concealed carry from the founding. Um, that's why when people talk about permitless carry. They uh, will often call it Vermont carry because yeah. Vermont has allowed since its founding people to conceal carry without a permit. Um, and that's even that's gotten that's probably the most popular gun policy of any gun policy uh, over the last five years in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and then you're still seeing it. There's still more states becoming um, constitutional or permitless or Vermont carry states. Um, in fact, I think Louisiana Senate just passed their proclamation. Uh, Governor Abbott in Texas just said he would sign um, a permitless carry bill if it made it to his desk. Uh, and I believe it's passed the House in Texas already. Um, uh, it's not clear if it's going to pass the Senate there. But but so, yeah, you've seen a wild, massive grassroots shift in this. And part, part of it's been through the courts in places like Illinois and D.C., but but most of it's been through uh, the legislatures in most states. Yeah, still waiting on it in Ohio. We'll see. I don't know if DeWine would even sign it if it uh, came to his desk, but we'll see. Yeah, but and, you do have shall issue. And so yes, yes. at the very least, you can get a permit yep. 
um, yep. if you pass the test and the yep. and the background check. So, yep. so in that regard, gun carry, concealed carry specifically, yep. has really um, just made a had a total victory uh, politically over the last you know couple decades here. Yeah, absolutely. I just felt bad uh, <laughs> looking at that graph. I was like, man, we should be talking more about this. You know, all the doom and gloom on it a daily basis. You know. Yeah, I mean, people don't talk about it, but like, yeah. it's kind of like homeschooling. Um, if you look at that phenomenon, yeah, that used to be illegal pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Yep. And over the last 30 years or whatever, through grassroots activism, it's become legal almost everywhere. And that's the same thing with concealed carry of firearms. It used to be illegal pretty much everywhere. Not that long ago. Yeah. Probably, you know, your parents probably experienced that yep. in their generation. Um, and, and then now... Um, or my parents, yeah, I'm 34, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know what everyone's age is, but I'm 32, so same boat. Yeah. Yeah. My generation, my, my parents' generation wouldn't have been able to conceal carry in any state. And now my generation, you can carry in every state. Um, there, yeah, there's still a couple holdouts where, uh, that's not technically true, but, um, or it's not effectively true, but, but the transformation has been pretty incredible. Yeah. And I'm from a grassroots. Yeah. Uh, effort like it wasn't it wasn't like the supreme court it's not like gay, like gay marriage for instance right yep um whatever you think of the issue uh obviously most people now support gay marriage but it didn't become legal in every state because of grassroots efforts to pass laws to make it legal yeah uh, instead it became legal because the supreme court ruled effectively that it's it's legal everywhere um i think that's a, uncaring, I, I think that's actually a great example um and as to you know how we should treat gun issues because think about how fast the gay marriage issue turned i mean barack obama ran in 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 2008 as opposing gay marriage and then you know obviously he lit the the white house up with the rainbow flag you know four yeah. years later or whatever like those issues can shift very quickly um i i know i have you over time uh sorry about that by the way so i'll let you go in just a no second worries. but um man I'll, t- I'll tell you what before i let you go it, it seems tedious uh to be a full-time for full-time firearms reporter because obviously what you do is 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 important but you're you're battling against a constant stream of nonsense from from the press specifically um the term fake news is probably overused at this point but uh, i mean 99 percent of all reporting on gun issues are either outright fabrications or just so ignorant that the reportage is darn near illiterate. So how, like how, how frustrated do you get? Are you just a happy warrior or, or does it weigh <laughs> on you having to cut through the BS on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it gets to you after a while of like repeat, repeating the same like checks, the fact checks to people. Right. Um, but I think, you know, for the most part, you know, because my job isn't just fact checking people, right? Like that's part of it occasionally like i'll do that uh if it's bad enough but most of my most of what i do is focused more on like reporting original stories myself um and telling stories that don't get told otherwise um and like this asian american gun rights group that just found like i you know i was the first one to get that story um uh, or the leaked um, ATF document that details how, you know, the Biden administration plans to ban so-called ghost guns. Like I, I was the first to get that story. And so that, that's really what I focus more on. So I don't go crazy right. with, uh, <laughs> with just fact checks. Cause you could, yeah, you could do a fact check of every, of every ridiculous talking head on TV and all the dumb things they say about guns every day. But, 
um, yeah, that would get very old very fast. And uh, so, so I, level, I only do that. The level of reporting from the mainstream media. I remember it was several years ago now, but the um, from the Washington Post, they they posted that photo with an AR-15 with it was like possible modifications, a chainsaw, yeah. bayonet, and so that was I, I USA mean, Today. That, yeah. that was what well, USA Today. That's right. And obviously, yeah. that's a, a meme that endures to this <laughs> this day. So th- oh, God, yeah. God bless him. But it's like that is what we're dealing with a lot of the time. You know, that's the level oh, yeah. of of insight from, from the mainstream media. It's, it's fast. Yeah. Or full semi-automatic or <laughs> fully uh, semi-automatic. Yeah. The shoulder thing that goes up. I mean, I guess that was a politician, but, but yeah, like, uh, or I did just have, um, there's a Democrat in Texas that was warning of wild West pimp style gun carry. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. and I broke that story too. So, yeah, but sometimes those are just funny. Like some of those things, it's just like hilarious. Like this is so stupid that all you can really do is laugh. Um, what did he mean by Wild like, West pimp style? I mean, that's like a, it's oh, like a, a lever. That particularly hilarious. It's like a lever action forty five seventy government <laughs> while wearing like a giant mink coat or something. Like I don't understand. Right. Well, she was, and the funny thing too is like she, she wasn't necessarily complaining about like permitless carry so much as she was complaining about this. They wanted, I guess, Republicans in in Texas wanted to reduce the the punishment for somebody who, um, I guess more or less inadvertently carries, uh, onto private property that has a posted sign saying not to carry. Um, and, and so she was annoyed because they were moving that from a class A felony to a class C felony. Um, and then, you know, of course, then you would still have you it would get upgraded to a class A felony if if you were asked to leave and then didn't leave, so you know you still you're still getting punished. It's just a, right. a slightly lesser crime to do, and so that's what she was upset about. And so she concocted this scenario where um, literal she was literally talking about pimps. By the way, <laughs> this wasn't figurative. She was talking about non felon pimps, right? Uh, so non-criminal p- pimps who have never been convicted of a, any crime could carry their gun legally into a small business with their uh, stable of women. She said <laughs> she said all this stuff like this. Uh, uh, this is not making any of this up. She said all this. And she was saying that, you know, they could carry their gun into the store and flaunt it. And unless the small business owner was willing to say, Mr. Pimp with your stable of girls, uh, <laughs> please leave my store. Then, you know, the, then uh, they couldn't, they had like no recourse or whatever. And so she was concocting this like insane uh, scenario where a, a, a non-criminal pimp was, was legally carrying his gun. Because of course, if he was a felon, <laughs> he wouldn't legally be allowed to carry a gun anyway, anywhere. And so she had to come up with this extremely specific scenario of dangerously pimps, specific yeah. of non-criminal pimps who are, uh, <laughs> who are like intimidating local small businesses by carrying their, their le- legally carrying their guns into the store. And if, because if they moved it from a class A to a class C that, that, that would happen a lot now. Um, yeah. So I, that one was particularly insane. But those, but those kinds of things, it's more funny than, than frustrating because yeah. it's just so nuts. <laughs> hey, that's what you're up against, man. 
it's what you're up against. So, Stephen, this was fun, man. Uh, let's let's do yeah. this again soon. I, I had a good time. Um, where can everybody follow you online, and where can everybody subscribe to the Reload? Yeah, if you go to thereload.com, you can subscribe to the free newsletter. We almost uh, have 3,000 signups in the first week here, which is pretty great. Or you can buy a, a membership, and you'll get uh, exclusive content and, and some of my analysis. You can read that story, uh, that piece on why uh, why I think um, the, the gun uh, control support has dropped. Um, and then you can also... Uh, find me on Twitter at Stephen Gutowski. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-U-T-O-W-S-K-I. Everybody follow Stephen. He's great. Everybody go right now and subscribe to The Reload. I highly recommend it. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs>